We all know that we are supposed to do good and avoid evil, but why? Why do we live a moral life? Is it out of fear, in order to avoid punishment? Or are there deeper, healthier reasons for doing what is right? As children, our entire system of morality is based on punishment and reward. If I do this thing, I will get in trouble, and maybe I will be grounded. If I do this other thing, I will get words of affirmation or a treat. This system is good and necessary because it teaches us about the natural consequences of our actions. But life is about so much more than natural consequences, about so much more than cause and effect. The deeper, richer aspects of life require a different focus. Unfortunately, when it comes to thinking about morality, many of us get stuck in the childish stage with debilitating consequences. Consider, for example, the question of love. In a punishment and reward system, love is contingent. Whether we are loved depends on how we act. And this ends up being a false and damaging form of love, because this form of love must be earned and can never be simply received. How many of us struggle, today as adults, to love and receive love from others because we came to believe early on that we do not deserve love and that we must be perfect before anyone can love us? This flawed understanding makes it so hard to be honest and vulnerable with our spouses, families, and friends. It also makes it impossible to receive love from a God who knows our every failing and still loves us infinitely and always. Obviously, the way many of us received religious instruction has not helped here. Most of us learn our faith as children, and so morality is presented in a punishment and reward kind of way. Do good to merit heaven. Avoid sin to escape hell. This may be appropriate for a child, but it is not how a mature adult or a mature Christian should be approaching the question of right and wrong. And yet, because adult religious education is woefully absent in this country, most of us stagnate here. We get stuck thinking of God as a neurotic policeman rather than as a loving savior. Even our first reading from Sirach, though more nuanced than much of the Old Testament on this topic, still falls into this way of thinking. Sirach says, The vengeful will suffer the Lord's vengeance, for he remembers their sins in detail. In other words, if you are vengeful, God will be vengeful with you. If you are bad, God will punish you. We should not be surprised that the Old Testament sometimes still uses childish logic in relation to morality. 
St. Paul is very clear in multiple places that the Jewish law was necessary as a starting point when Israel was still a child, but that the coming of Jesus brought us into a more mature way of thinking about and relating to God. So what is that more mature way? How are we supposed to think about the moral life? In short, the mature Christian view of good and evil is that we do good because God first did good to us. We love because God first loved us. The gifts of God are so immense that we can never pay them back. We can only pay them forward to others. And to see this, we need only look at the truly excellent parable that Jesus gives us in today's gospel. As we approach this parable, we should first note that both the king and the first servant were right to demand repayment of their debts. These were contracts with consequences, and it was only fair to demand that these contracts be respected. This is the punishment and reward system. We do what we are supposed to do in order to avoid the consequences. But in the parable, the master chooses to ignore this system and to forgive the $100 million debt entirely. If you do the math on what 10,000 talents would come out to today, it's about $100 million. This is a new system, a system of love and forgiveness so immense that it shocks our sensibilities. A system that is so far superior to punishment and reward that we should never desire to go back. And yet, the first servant does go back. Even though he has received a multi-million dollar gift of forgiveness, he still demands that his fellow servant repay a much smaller $10,000 debt. He has every legal right to demand repayment, of course, but so does his master. And when the master learns that this servant prefers to enforce the law of punishment and reward in his own dealings, that is exactly the law that the master once again holds him accountable to. The servant is thrown to the torturers until he can come up with the hundred million dollars. To put this another way, the master lets the servant choose his own system. If he wants to be forgiven, he must forgive. If he would prefer to insist on unforgiveness, unforgiveness will be his. But notice finally that the master acts first in forgiveness. This is the method that he wants the servant to live by, and he begins by modeling it himself. He asks nothing in return except that the servant pay forward the blessings that he himself has received. And this, my friends, is the foundation of Christian morality. We do not have to earn the love of God. 
We do not have to be perfect so that God loves us. God starts by loving us. That is his default. And because that love is far too immense to pay back, we Christians act morally as a way to pay that love forward. What does this look like? God loved us by giving us life. So we try to be life-giving in everything we do. God loved us by becoming incarnate in the manger, so we unite ourselves to the humanity and suffering of others. God loved us by going to the cross to forgive our sins, so we forgive all those who have sinned against us, whether they deserve it or not. God loved us by defeating death and rising from the grave, so we pay that love forward by working for justice and defeating death wherever it may have dominion. God loved us by allowing us to unite ourselves to him through the sacraments. So we bring as many people as we can to a personal unity with Jesus Christ in faith and sacrament. My friends, At the end of our lives, we will have to stand exposed before the judgment seat of God. Heaven and hell are realities that we have to contend with. And yet, the focus of a mature adult Christian is never primarily on heaven and hell. We are never primarily motivated by punishment and reward. Instead, the mature Christian keeps as their primary focus the unconditional love that God has shown them. And the mature Christian continually asks themselves how they can pay that love forward through the course of their life. We do not love out of fear. We love because God first loved us. Our master has forgiven an incredible debt, and now we must go forth and do the same.